You're listening to the Evanston Bible Fellowship Podcast. EBF is a community of sojourners empowering one another to cultivate gospel transformation. To learn more about our church, visit ebfchurch.org. morning. Today's passage is Mark 12, verses 28 to 31. Uh, That's Mark 12, verses 28 to 31. And please rise for the reading of God's word. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, EBF Church family. My name is Ben Mangrich. I'm a former elder here at EBF, and I've had the privilege of preaching here about once per year for the last several years. But this Sunday, this summer is unique in that it's the first time I've had a blank check where I've been said, given open topic, whatever you want to preach about. So today we're going to take a little break from our series uh, in First Peter, Sojourners and Exiles. We're preaching through the book of First Peter. Today we're going to take a break to talk about and to look at a question that I've been reflecting on quite a bit recently, which is, what does it mean to be a Christian? And that's, uh, you know, a question that could, go, could be answered many different ways, but uh, the passage we just read was from a very well-known passage known as the Great Commandment, where Jesus was asked a very similar question. And his answer was very simple. It was, love God and love people. That's it. The bottom line of today's message is the same as the headline of today's message. Love God and love people. Sounds simple, right? It's a, it is simple, easy to say, but hard to do. So when we look further, and when you think of it as a, in, in simplified, broad terms like this, that could be the motto of just about any religion in the world, right? No one disagrees with that message of loving God and loving others. Uh, But when you look at how do you do that, what does it mean to do that, that's where it gets more meaningful, and that's also what maybe causes questions or uh, division or discussion, or that's where it gets to be a little bit more challenging. Um, So we will go a little bit one layer deeper today and look at the the aspects of loving God and loving people. Um, and And I think that those two headers are basically the, the headers for category headers for uh, how we live out our faith. And it forms the foundation for kingdom life and the core of Christian ethics. So when you ask yourself the question, as you may have been asking the similar question about what is the, the essence of a Christian, what does it mean to be a Christian, remember when Jesus was asked a similar question. Remember his answer 
was love God and love people. Before we jump in further today, let me say a quick prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for what you have uh, taught us through your word. I pray that it would, it would come alive this morning, that your spirit would fill this room, and that you would be with those who are here, and that you would uh, just convict and encourage uh, everyone in this room, and those who are joining us online as well. Lord, I pray that uh, you would uh, use my, these words to, uh, to just uh, bring truth this morning. In Jesus' name. So a few months ago, I was uh, sitting around a fire pit with some of my neighbors. None of them were believers, none of them were Christians, but it was shortly after Easter, and EBF had just done a, an outreach called, you know, we called Egged, where we were putting uh, Easter eggs out on people's lawns for Easter, and in those eggs there was a little, one of the eggs had a gospel message and a cross, and I had egged a few of their houses, uh, you know, and it was, so someone brought it up and said, oh, thank you very much, appreciate it, how nice, uh, and then he chuckled and said, I feel uh, I'm embarrassed because my kid thought that that cross was a T, they didn't, they said, why did I get this weird T in the egg? And he then said, you know, I think I should really do a better job at teaching my kids about Christianity. Another guy was sitting there who I didn't know nearly as well and who was, I wasn't, I wasn't one of the had egged houses. He had this look of disgust on his face. He said, why would you do that? I can't stand Christians. And that was something that kind of struck me. And then he immediately realized that I was there and he was embarrassed a little bit and said, no, I didn't, I didn't mean it like that. I don't, I can't, it's not that I don't hate all Christians, just evangelical Christians. And so, because, and he was saying, because they're, they, you know, there has a perception of Christians uh, to be bigoted, to be, uh, you know, unloving, to be hypocritical. And we had just finished uh, a really partisan election. We're in the midst of COVID, where Christianity was um, kind of getting in the mix with a lot of things. And there has been, and probably still is, a perception of what it means to be a Christian that is completely at odds with those traits that we, we would expect them to be, with what they should be. They're the opposite of our beliefs. And I'm curious if you guys have had similar conversations with people this past year, or I would imagine you probably have, or if not, at least seen posts online to that effect, uh, where, where people uh, just have a, a negative view of, a, of Christianity. Um, and there's a, a study that comes out every year from Barna that's a state of the church study. This past year, they found that practicing Christians have dropped in half since 2000, 50%. And that's most prevalent with the young, uh, young adults ages 20 to 30, where two-thirds have walked away from, from Christianity or from the church. And the reasons that, have been, that were given, top reasons, were that church members were divisive, judgmental, hypocritical, um, and, you know, we're, EBF is no, no stranger to people leaving, to division. Um, we had a service of lament recently this summer to lament some of those kinds of things that we've experienced in our own, own community. Um, but all of those things, this negative portrayal of Christianity, the fact that we have been in, uh, having to do church remotely for the last year during COVID, all of that has really caused me to reflect quite a bit on what is a Christian? What should it be? And yes, I know that means we believe in Jesus and we go to church, but if you strip away all the Christianese, if you strip away these words and rituals that we 
think about what is the essence of, of, a, of a Christian. So that is why I wanted to look today at the great commandment. Um, this is the, what the Lord has put on my heart as sort of an answer to that question. Uh, because Jesus was asked something similar in this passage. He was asked by uh, the, the religious leaders at the time, out of all the various laws and all the things that we're commanded to do, of all of our beliefs, what is most important? What is core? In the Torah, which was the, the Hebrew law at the time, there's hundreds and thousands of commandments. And so um, that's the reason that you know, this was asked of him. And it was asked of him to put him to the test. It was asked of him as a way to, to kind of cause conflict, to stir up controversy, to say, well, whatever you say, I can, I'm sure I'll have an argument against it. Um, and it's recorded in two different books, in two different gospel books. The first one we just read in Mark 12, I'll read it again. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Uh, this, this similar encounter was also recorded in the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 22, 34 to 40. So I'll read, I'm going to read that version as well. It says, Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. All of the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. Jesus was quoting uh, several, you know, commandments from the Old Testament. So this is not a new commandment. A couple of references here are Deuteronomy 6.5 and Leviticus 19.18, which say those same things. Um, but this, was, this has been communicated by God through Moses to his people and, you know, years and years ago. Um, but what Jesus was saying was that this was the crux of what all of these commandments came to. This is the crux of it. This is what it was really important, loving God and loving people. So before we move on and look, look further and look deeper in, just sit with that for a minute. Just sit with, uh, when, when we ask ourselves the question of what it really means to be a Christian, Jesus already had an answer for it. Love God and love people. So I've broken, it into, I've broken the rest of our time into a couple of few key aspects, which is, looking at both of those a little bit further. The first is love God with all your being, with all your mind, all your heart, all your strength, and all your soul. And we'll look at each one of those. And then uh, we'll look at love your neighbor as yourself and ask the question, who is our neighbor and how do we do this? Right? So that's, that's where we're going for the rest of our time today. Uh, so love God with all your being. Uh, the first aspect that I want to look at a little bit further is love the Lord your God with all your mind. This is, a, this is knowing about God. This is the intellectual aspect of loving God. And it's the reason that as Christians we care about things like doctrine, theology, uh, the word orthodoxy, which means right doctrine. 
That's where that, that statement comes from. That's why it's an important thing for us to think about. Uh, and the reason that we study Scripture is not simply to do a checklist to, to get our Bible through the year done. It's to know about God because loving something starts with knowing about it. Think about if you have a hobby. Some of you have certain things you love to do. Uh, my wife, Steph, tells me I have way too many hobbies. I, uh, I love bikes and running and volleyball and trivia and karaoke and beer and cooking and the list goes on. Um, for my birthday this year, though, I got a new smoker and I was very excited to use it and to try smoking just about anything I could put in there and make all sorts of tasty meats, which I have been doing this summer. Um, but the first week or so that I had that, I spent you know, that time looking up recipes, figuring out tips and tricks, how to use this and get the best out of it. Because when you, when you love doing something, you want to learn, you want to research, you want to study up on how it works. And I would imagine each of you have something uh, that, that you have as a hobby. And I would imagine, yeah, I could ask you, you could tell me all about the, how it works. You could tell me all the gear, the techniques, the latest news uh, for that same reason. You research about what you, you care about. You learn about what you care about. In the same way, uh, knowing about God is part of loving God. In Second Timothy, Paul writes a letter to his protege, Timothy, uh, and emphasizes the importance of sound doctrine and knowing the scriptures. He says in 2 Timothy 3.14, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of, because you know those from where you have learned it. And from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. And he goes on then a few, couple verses later to say, All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So this is Paul's advice to Timothy, is to know the scriptures, to have continue in what you have learned. Uh, part of loving God with your entire being is to love God with your mind, intellectually, to know about him. The second part of loving God with our entire being is to love him with all of our hearts. And in my, in my view, that is part of where worship comes in. When you love something with your heart, it's an emotional expression. It's an emotional aspect. It's taking our, our head knowledge and, heart, and moving into heart knowledge. And uh, Psalm 103 says, Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being praises, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. So this is singing praises of the Lord in all aspects of our life, is worshiping God with our heart. Uh, and, it's, and a lot of people, I think, tend to focus on the academics, tend to focus on the intellectual side of knowing God and loving God, um, but not, off, not as much with our hearts and with our emotions. Um, we just got, a couple weeks ago, a new puppy, She's a 10-week-old chocolate lab named Boba. And one of the best parts of having a puppy is how adoring they are. No words required, right? Every lick, snuggle, tail wag, it's like she's just saying, I love you, I love you, I love you. It's such a great picture in my mind of worship. That's how our expression of love should be to our, our, our God and our Father. Uh, I, I think of loving God with our entire heart is like bursting forth with an expression of praise, not just with our words, but also with every aspect of our life and with everything that we do. 
So, and I think closely connected with worship is obedience, which is where I, which is where I'm, the, I think the next aspect of loving the Lord, our God, with all your strength comes in. It's doing our best to obey God and to work as unto the Lord and to obey His commands. Um, speaking of our puppy, we are now training Boba to. Um, follow our house rules, right? That's, that's what we're doing. We're trying to make sure she doesn't pee in the house, she doesn't chew things. You know, tail, tail wags and puppy licks are, are great, but not if they're misbehaving at the same time. And so, in the same way, loving God and worshiping God uh, shouldn't end with that expression of our heart, but should also follow with our, our own actions and how we, uh, and what we do uh, right? So that's part of obedience. It's just like when we love our parents, where, where we obey them at the same time. If one of my daughters said, I love you, you're the best dad ever, but didn't do what she was asked, it'd be hard for me to accept that. It would be hard for me to, to really believe those words if action doesn't follow. And that's in, in the same vein for, uh, for how we love God with all of our strength. Um, first, or John 14 23, Jesus said, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. And similarly in James 1, 22, it says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away immediately forgets what he looks like. So loving the Lord with your mind intellectually with your heart emotionally through worship, expression of praise, and then through action and obedience and personal holiness is wrapped into loving uh, God with our entire being. So this is oftentimes what people associate with religion or with Christianity as a set of rules that we follow and obey. And, and, you know, it is this, right? It is this, but it's not only this. This is part of loving God with our entire being. Um, and the, fo- the, the fourth part that we'll talk about here today is love, love the Lord your God with all your soul. To love God with our whole being is to know him in a personal, relational way, at a, in a, with all of our soul, uh, to me, suggests a relationship. It's a relational thing. It's not just with our head or with our heart or with our actions. It's with our whole being. Um, and you know, when, you, when I interview, I interview people for my job at work, and when I do that, we'll read the resumes of people and their application, and there'll be research done and all sorts of information about them. Um, but until you actually start talking to them in an interview, and ultimately, once you start actually spending time with them, once they've started to, to when you started to work together, that's when you truly get to know someone. It's, there's only a limit that you can, that you can, uh, there's a limit to what you can know on paper. Uh, and it's the same way with God. There's a limit to what we can do on paper. It's, it's a relational, God is a relational God. Uh, he wants to be in a relationship with us. That's the whole point of the gospel, is it not? To love God is to commune with God and abide with God through the gospel. We have been redeemed by Christ's death and resurrection so that we can be in communion with God. Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. 
If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him. I will come in and eat with him and he with me. I love this picture of God being at the door, standing and knocking, so that he can come in and have a meal in, our, in, in, in someone's home. It's a, very, a picture of a relationship, uh, and that's part of, of uh, the, one of the great things that we have been designed to be in a relationship with God, our Father. Um, this is the good news of the gospel, is a relationship waiting to happen. If you have not yet entered into that relationship, if you have, if you have loved God exclusively by study or exclusively by uh, pursuing action, but have not actually entered into a relationship with the Lord and invited him to come and dwell in your heart, uh, that I, I would invite you to do so now. I would invite you to move in that direction. That is part of the fullness of loving God as we ought. That is part of loving God with all of our soul. So, Loving God, love God with, all of, with your entire being involves mind, heart, strength, and soul. It's knowing about God, it's worshiping God, it's obeying God, and it's being in relationship with God. So the next thing we'll look at here is loving people, loving our neighbor as ourself. To love people should flow naturally from loving God. The love we have for God shouldn't end on ourselves. Spiritual disciplines and connection to God should affect all aspects of our lives here on earth, and that includes our relationships with others, yes? So I want to look at two simple questions that that arise from the phrase, love your neighbor as yourself. It raises two very basic questions. The first one is, who is my neighbor, right? Who, Who is this? And the second is, how do I love them as myself, as myself? And we read two gospel, uh, two, two different uh, recordings of the Great Commandment, but there's actually a third one. There's a third uh, instance of the Great Commandment in the Gospel of Luke that I'll read, where this question is addressed uh, right, right next to it. Luke 10:25 says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit, to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. So the the great commandment once again uh, is is put forward as this is the, the crux of what it means to inherit eternal life in this case. But right then, as a follow-up to that question, uh, the, the, lawyer, or the lawyer said, uh, asked the, that very question that we just asked, who is my neighbor? He says, but desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And then, directly after that, Jesus answers the question with the parable of the Good Samaritan. Many of you, many of you know this parable. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it's about someone who is in great need, who's lying on the side of the road, uh, half dead, uh, dying on the side of the road, and people pass right by, don't do anything. Uh, those who you would expect to be taking care of this person don't, but a Samaritan, someone who is in a totally different community, totally different culture, someone who's an outsider, is the one who stops and goes above and beyond to care for this, for this man who's, who's in need. Uh, and so Jesus' audience at the time 
um, would have maybe expected uh, an answer that was sort of, you know, is it just my family? Is it my family and close friends? Is it my, is it all of the, the community and, you know, in, in, uh, of, of those, all of the Jewish community at the time? But Jesus' answer drastically expands the definition, right? He answers that the Samaritan is his neighbor, someone totally outside of, of who, that, who anyone would have expected. Um, it's a, it was a parable that called people to bridge the cultural divide and asked, asked uh, this man to sacrificially love those who were very different than him. Um, and what a, what a sort of mind-blowing answer that Jesus gave when asked the question, who is my neighbor? And that applies to us, right? When we ask the same question, who is my neighbor? Uh, it, it, it has a similar mind-blowing um, uh, you know, uh, implication for us. When I think about our neighbor in our context, well, of course, it, it does mean those close to us, right? The Bible is very clear that we are to love those close to us. Uh, Ephesians 5 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Ephesians 6 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. John 15, love, A greater love has no one than this, to lay down his life for his friends. So yes, loving uh, our neighbor starts with loving those close to us, our friends and our family um, and, and those relationships are important. Uh, as it, it has to start there, but it also includes others who aren't as close to us. It, it includes our church community, right? It includes people in this very room. Uh, and sometimes that can be the hardest, one of the hardest things to do is to love those around us, to love those in church. We just talked earlier about the, the, the division that we've had at EBF and the, and the struggle that, that churches are having these days, and people are messy. People are hard sometimes to love, but that is an aspect of who our neighbor is. It goes beyond that, though, right? It goes beyond just our church community. It's to those who aren't close to us at all, those who are very different than us, different values, different cultures, uh, maybe even those who we would consider enemies, right? Uh, in, a, in a polarized society, it means loving those on the opposite end of the poles, on the opposite end of the spectrum. Um, it's also why... Uh, and that was the, this was the point of the, the whole point, right, of the Good Samaritan. The whole point of the parable was that person who you would never, ever think you would have to even talk to is, the per, is your neighbor, is the person, is the neighbor that you need to love. And so I also think that's why uh, the Great Commission is connected to the Great Commandment, right? So that's the Great Commission, for those of you who don't, who don't know, is Matthew 28, 19, Jesus says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So it's about evangelism. It's about making disciples of all nations. And this is very much connected to this idea of loving your neighbor, even though it seems odd to call a neighbor someone of all nations, but that's the implication of the, of the parable that Jesus gave in the Good, of the Good Samaritan. It's the connection between the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. I also think it's easy sometimes to, to think loving others is just to accept them and to take care of them in, as sinful as they are. Right? When you think about someone who's not a believer, um, this might be, when you think about loving someone like that, it's to just be nice to them. But in this passage, the Great Commission says, teach them to obey everything I have commanded you, baptize them, and make disciples 
Uh, it, of course, love starts with accepting people as they are. Jesus accepts us while we were still sinners. But it also calls us into a new way of life. It, loving people involves evangelism, and it, it involves gospel transformation. Yeah? It calls those who don't know the Lord into a, a, into a, in a relationship with the Lord, not just to accept them as they are. Yes, accept them as they are, but then go beyond. Uh, so the second question I wanted to, uh, to address, right? First, we talked about who is my neighbor, those close to us, our friends, our family, our church community, and those not close to us. So it's essentially looking at all people, those near and far. But the second question is really hard. How do I love them as myself? That's hard, yeah? Human nature is selfish, by, by design. It's survival instinct is to be selfish. And so loving someone else as myself means selflessness. And that is, is very challenging. I think the best example that I can give of loving someone as, our, as myself is that of a marriage relationship. Those of us who are married probably have already had to figure out what that means to love someone else as ourself. It means putting their needs, their wants, their desires, etc., um, in the priority position. It means putting them equal, if not more, than our own. And that's how, it's a good picture of loving someone as ourself. But for those of us who are married, we also know it's very hard to do. It's, marriage is hard, and it's hard to put others' uh, needs above yourself. Imagine doing this for all, all of the people we just said as our neighbor. That's overwhelming, right? Yikes. That's, that is really, really tough. Um, I think when I look at how that looks practically, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan also speaks to that as well. It's, it's someone who gives without possibility of return. It's someone who lives generously. And, and the example here in, uh, in, the, in the parable in Luke says, then he set him on his own animal, that's the Samaritan, set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you need, I will repay you when I come back. He treated this, uh, this stranger like he would want himself to be treated if he were in that position, like, like if it was someone that was close to him in his, in his own family. He treated him that way by giving him his transportation and his money and said, Whatever you need, let's you know, take care of it. That, so my answer to the question of how do we love someone else as ourself especially those who we don't know as well, it's simply to live generously, to live selflessly. Um, and then not just the leftovers when we have a little bit of spare time or spare money, uh, but the first portion, the first portion, the best portion of our time and our money and our attitude and our mental energy. Give this to others as we would otherwise give it to ourselves. It's about taking care of people and the world around us, it's about using our time and our money for good um, and for, you know, our friends and family as well as the orphan and the widow. It goes hand in hand, though, with spiritual transformation. It requires, this sort of selfless generosity requires a new heart filled with the Spirit to live in this way. It is a hard thing to do when you really ask the question, how do I do this? And it requires a transformation of the heart to make this be a reality in our lives. So it's a simple command when we put it together. Love God with our entire being. Love our neighbor as ourself. Love God and love people is a simple command, uh, the essence of what it means to be a Christian. 
easy to say, hard to do. Has a lot of dimensions when you look at what that really means. How do we really do that? Um, and sometimes it might be hard to understand. Well, which is the priority, right? Where, which is the most important of these? And that's where it sometimes causes conflict. That's where Christians and churches have split or have diverted from one another because you're asking the question, well, should we love God or should we love people? Or, you know, I think we should do this. We really need to focus on this thing. We really need to focus on this aspect of it. And so it's, uh, it's simple, but it's tricky. You know, back to the point about um, Christians walking away from church or people walking away from church, I read an article recently by Chris Paluski who is the uh, president of Bethany Christian Services, and one of the quotes he said was, I can't help thinking that there may be a correlation between Christians infighting and the fact that fewer people want to be associated with us. You don't have to look far to see division within American Christianity. We're still divided over the 2020 election, racial justice, even wearing face masks. Christians are too often known for what we're against rather than what we're for. Too often we celebrate division to show that we practice the purest form of Christianity. He is arguing here that Christianity's bad name comes from this kind of infighting, this sort of division over who's the purest and which aspect of Christianity. Um, and I, you know, I think I've certainly heard people accuse others of idolatry when you elevate one thing over another, and there is Truth to that, if you take one aspect, one piece of what we just talked about and make it the only thing, that can, that can really be uh, not right. That could be uh, unhealthy. I think of examples of, you know, if you were to say loving people is the ultimate thing, you can take that to, to sort of put God out of the entire picture and it's, you basically be, can become a philanthropist, right? And that's not what it means to be a Christian. That is... Um, taking God out of the picture. Similarly, there is this idea of an idolatrous spirituality which focuses on an individualistic view of Christianity. It's, uh, it ends on people and their personal salvation and their personal love of God, but it ignores the sacrificial life that God and Jesus calls us into. It's loving God in a bubble of one where it's only my spiritual condition with the Lord it's, not, it's loving God with at the, at the absence of loving people. So yes, these, uh, these two areas can be tricky to get in harmony, but it, they go together, yes? They are not competing facets of Christianity. They are part of the same thing. They don't need to be polarizing. So as we live this out, let's not truncate the gospel in one side or the other. Let's not create a false dichotomy between loving God and loving people separate the spiritual from the material, separate faith from works, right? We don't need to necessarily fight amongst ourselves about which category is, is, you know, needs to be elevated in a certain way. When my neighbor at the fire pit said that he couldn't stand Christians, that conversation spurred my reflection in this way. It spurred my thinking about the, this question. Um, and I, about what we should be known for, which is our love, loving God and loving people. And I acknowledged in that time, in that conversation, uh, very quickly that, yes, there are you know, bad examples and Christians have gotten a bad rap, but I wish that I could have preached this entire sermon to him so that I could share my heart as to what 
Christians should be. Um, and at the end of the day, for us, when we find ourselves asking that same question, or when we find ourselves lost in the weeds, so to speak, about what it really means, when we need to, when we need to evaluate what is truly most important, remember that Jesus already gave us the cheat sheet. He already gave us the answer in simple terms. Love God and love people. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for revealing your hearts from the very beginning of the Bible in the Old Testament through to the passages we read today. Thank you for uh, your, your yoke being easy and your burden being light, that you have done the, the, the heavy lifting for us in sending your son to die. We do not have to save ourselves. You have already done that. Help us, Lord, to live in uh, the reality of what we should, how we should be living. Help us to follow and obey the greatest commandment, to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To hear more messages from EBF, subscribe to our podcast. And to find out how to get connected with our church, visit ebfchurch.org.